Kevin, thank you, brother. I, uh, I appreciate this. And I have grown to love your pastor as well over the years. I know I may have mentioned when I was here before, but over the years I've spent a lot of time at the water plant. And I don't work there, <laughs> but um, Anthony Bledsoe was one of my dearest friends, and most of the time it's, it's to meet him, but Kevin often is there, and we've had a chance over the years to, um, to understand that we, we hold tightly to the same doctrine, the same biblical teaching, and that's kind of rare. Um, thank you, bud. Nowadays, it seems that people are all over the, pl all over the board with what they believe. And uh, anything goes anymore. And it's no longer, thus saith the Lord, in too many cases. Um, but I'm a, a firm believer in every word that God has ever spoken through his word, through his prophets, through his apostles. And uh, again, this is just a great pleasure here this morning. I know we read... The scripture going to be in um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. We read them earlier, and I told Kevin, I messaged him and said, we're going to primarily focus on a few of these verses, but just get the context. It's why we read what we did earlier. Uh, and if you would, um, bow your heads a moment when we pray before we begin. Our Father, what a joy it is to, to be here with with this precious body of believers at Wales. And Lord, I, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would attend everything that's done. God, that your presence here would be tangible. God, that there would not be a person here that leaves the same way we came. God, I need what you want to feed us by your word this morning. And Father, I pray that you would restore, God, that you would renew, anyone here this morning that is struggling, God, that you would speak to us by your spirit, through your word, God, to establish the truth of who you are. And who we are in you. Lord, thank you for your word. And for the privilege, the, the blessed privilege of being able to declare to your people what your word says. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 You know, we live in a, an individualistic cult, culture, culture today. And it's been a... I think a hallmark of Christianity or, or our country for a number of years, the, the old American individualism that, um, that we are independent and of any and all and that our, our goal is to pursue our own interests, that that's what drives us is our independence and our, our desire to, 
to fulfill our own individual purposes and our own personal pursuits in life. And you know, that sounds desirable to be free of, uh, to be free of, to make, be my own person and achieve my own goals and the, and the things in life that I want. But you know, that's a far cry from what God tells us in his word as far as the body of Christ. And that's what Paul addresses here in this book of, of first, uh, uh, Philippians. The Roman Catholics have an expression, no one has God as father unless they have the church as their mother. Now, I, the way they understand that is that there's no salvation outside of the church. That's the way the Roman Catholics believe. But there is a grain of truth there. And it's this. Is that the fellowship that the Bible talks about is with God first and with one another. There's no way to have one without the other. You will not have fellowship with the Father through Christ unless we have fellowship with one another. Well, I wish our church would learn that. Listen, you cannot be at odds with a brother or sister in Christ and be right with God. And also, you will not have fellowship with one another unless we have fellowship with our Father. Two fellowships for one. But when we're born again, that's what we enter into. Enter into a fellowship, not just into the, the Godhead, not just in Christ, but into a body. Into a body. Paul speaks a lot about the body of Christ in his writings and talks about the, the hand can't say to the arm, the leg can't say to the foot, the head can't say to the... I mean, we are a body. The church is a body, and not just individually, collectively. The church here... The church at Shores, the church at Solid Rock. You know, it's amazing. You run across, I, you know, I've never gone to church with Anthony or with Kevin. But you know, when we're together, there's a fellowship there. And you know it real quick. You know it. You know it when you're around somebody that loves the Lord. You know when you're around somebody that spends time in his word. You know you're around someone who wants for their life what God wants for them. You know that. Even the Apostle John talks about it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to what he says. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible speaks of that. Fellowship with one is fellowship with the other. So an understanding of, of the, the one and only foundation of true biblical fellowship in the gospel of God's amazing grace. Listen, it's greatly needed today. We need to understand what and have a true understanding of what fellowship means. Listen, it's more than just being together in a worship service. It's more than just being in a small group together. It's more than those times where we share a meal. Listen, it's more than just the times we share the Lord's Supper together. Those are just uh, episodes of fellowship. They're, 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 they're indications of the fellowship, but they're not in and of themselves, any one encompass all of it. They're aspects. The, way we, the ways we, we observe and celebrate our fellowship. But listen, at the heart of our fellowship, the, Greek, you know, the koinonia that, that the Bible talks about, at the heart of that is rela a relationship. Listen, it's a bond of life. You understand that? 
Fellowship in the church, Christian fellowship is a bond of life. We're bound together by the life of Christ. The crucified, buried, and resurrected one. That's who binds us together. You see why our fellowship is more than just the times we meet together. I, I want picture in your mind a triangle. This just came to mind. I'm, brother, I hope you don't have a, a buzzer goes off at noon because we ain't gonna be we ain't gonna be done by noon. I can tell you, y'all don't listen quick enough. Listen, <laughs> picture, picture a triangle, and I'm gonna tell you what the key is. And I've told this, people this in marriage counseling before. Two individual people. The best way to draw together is you draw near to God. Listen, because the nearer you each draw to him, the nearer you're going to be to each one. Each right. Amen. You know, the same goes for a body of believers. Listen, if your priority is to draw near to God, you will naturally draw near to your fellow believers. And if you're not drawing near to God, you're not drawing near to your fellow believers. And if, if you can do without fellowship with your fellow believers, listen, you're negating your fellowship with your father. We need to understand its true nature and realize that it's, it's the bond that, listen, it is a bond that surpasses any and every earthly relationship, even your family, your immediate family. Husbands, let me tell you something. This bond exceeds the bond with your wife. This bond exceeds the wife, your bond with your husband. This bond exceeds the 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 bond you have, parents, with your children or children with your parents. And I'll tell you why I know, because this is what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 10, he said, Do not think I've come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her, her mother-in-law. He's talking about, that sword's talking about the, the cutting that following Christ will do in your life. He said, and the person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me does not, is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. Listen, can I tell you something? Following Jesus is a serious business. It's not just something that you can just take up and do whenever you want, however you want. Follow him any way you want to. Want to. Kevin said when he, before he baptized a young lady a while ago, listen, we are to follow him. That's, the first, that's what Jesus told the disciples. He said, follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. You see, the one that calls us is the Lord of glory. He call, it's Jesus that calls, and he calls us to himself, and he calls us for himself. If he has called you to follow him, then you follow. So what, is it, what does this look like? What does it look like to, to have this, this fellowship that, that Paul is talking about here, the biblical fellowship? Well, in 
In our text this morning, Philippians chapter 1, I want you to look. We're just going to primarily be verses 5 through and following. But there's four things here that I want to point out. There at least four. There's four right here that we can glean. And, you know, Bobby, Bobby, we don't have till 4 o'clock, so I'm going to limit it to four. So um, there are others that, that we could pull from this. But what Paul, what Paul brings out in the Philippians here is these four. Now, I want you to bear in mind something. You know where Paul is when he's writing this. He's in prison. Folks, I'm, I think that ought to grip our hearts. The man that's writing this letter to this church in Philippi is sitting in prison, not because he held up a bank, not because he ran from the police, not because any other reason than he was preaching the gospel. And folks are offended. They still are today. They still are today. The gospel offends. The cross is an offense. Four things. Number one, Christian fellowship is gospel-centered. It shows persistent growth. It's grace-strengthened. And it's also love-motivated. It's also love-motivated. Number one, being gospel-centered. I want us to look real briefly at Acts chapter 16. This is where... You know, Paul had received, and, and Silas had received the, the Macedonian call. You know, they were, they were trying to continue their ministry in Asia. I mean, they tried to go one place and another. They tried to minister here, tried to minister there, and they kept being diverted by the Holy Spirit, wouldn't let them do what they wanted to do at the time. And one night, Paul saw in a vision a man from Macedonia and said, come over and help us. And so they just knew that that's where they were supposed to go. So they go, and in Acts chapter 16, look real, it, uh, there's three instances here I want us to see how God formed this church. The first instance was in verse 13 through 15. And on the Sabbath, we went uh, outside to the gate, to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, just as a backstory, normally Paul and Silas <clears throat> or previously, Paul and Barnabas would start their ministry in an area by entering the synagogues. And that's where they would start. But in Philippi, there was no, there was no synagogue. And, and normally it took at least 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. So obviously there weren't 10 Jewish men in this area or they would have formed one. So Paul and Silas were looking for a way to minister. They were looking for a way to spread the gospel, but they'd been called there. You know, sometimes it's not just real obvious what we're supposed to do. But God opens the door and he shows you what you're supposed to do. So they go out to the riverside. Verse 14, it said, And one who heard, heard uh, was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who is a worshiper of God. Now get that. A worshiper of God. You know, Cornelius was called a worshiper of God. But he didn't know the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. You know, I, I, we all probably know that Matthew Perry passed away yesterday. And I read he had been, I think he had been in, in rehab 15 times. He had been through detox, he said, 65 times. And somebody talked about how he had, he had shared with some people 
about how he had met God and how God had, had done some things in his life and how he had just kind of broken his, his heart. And, and he went on and on about what God had done. And, and people were just singing these accolades about Matthew Perry, how he had... Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You can think you're close to God, but Jesus said, no one comes to the Father by me. If you think you're going to get to God around Jesus, you're wrong. And I don't know Matthew Perry. I don't know his... I hadn't heard him, but there was not one mention of repentance. There was not one mention of a Savior dying for his sins. <laughs> Folks, we make religion, we make Christianity what we want it to be. We want to make it easy. We want to believe anything and everything somebody says. And what's wrong today is we don't know, our, our, we don't know this book well enough to be able to discern truth from error. And it's not just up to pastors and teachers and preachers and missionaries it's up to every single believer. Because I want to tell you something. There's an enemy out there that wants to deceive you any way he can. And Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, Jesus himself responded with Scripture every single time. Lydia. She was a worshiper of God, but look, it said the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. See, if the Lord doesn't open your heart, I can't open it. I cannot open your heart. Kevin, we cannot open somebody's heart. We proclaim, and the Holy Spirit opens a heart. The Holy Spirit does it. You don't open your own heart. The Holy Spirit does. I love amazing grace. We're... Listen, I think we, go, we blow by this sometimes. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. I'm going to tell you something. When God saved me, I was crushed by the thought of the sin in my life. I was utterly crushed but I'm glad God didn't leave me crushed. You see, what he'll do is he'll grind you to the ground, but then he'll lift you back up again. That's what grace does. And I, I fear that so many of our churches today, think, people think they're saved and they've never been lost. They've never been lost. If you've never realized you were lost and alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to God, if you've never realized that you were lost, I don't know how you ever got saved because where did you get saved from? If you didn't know you were a sinner, how, what did you get saved from? Where did you get? The word saved means rescue. What did you get rescued from? Lydia was rescued from just being a God worshiper to being a redeemed lady. It says in verse 15, and after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us saying, if you judge me faithful, in the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. So the first person that we're told was, was, was reached with the gospel in Philippi was a, probably a wealthy businesswoman who dealt in, in these uh, very expensive fabrics that she sold there in, in uh, Macedonia. But secondly, look, at, uh, look down at verse 16 through 18. It says that we were going to the place of prayer. We met, were met by a slave girl 
who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, we're not told that this, this young lady was actually born again. We're not told. Now, I've, I've read a number of scholars who believe that she was actually saved. I can't imagine Paul or any of these other evangelists seeing someone delivered from a serpent. And that's what that was. That spirit, the word divination there means python spirit. She had a, a spirit of a serpent. That's what she had, a young girl. And when they cast a demon out, listen, this young girl would have, would have been absolutely destitute. She would have had nowhere to go. And I can't imagine Paul and Silas leaving that girl to fend for herself. I, I, I just can't imagine it. Listen, the Bible doesn't always tell us everything. Sometimes we have to, and I don't mean create scripture, but I mean, I think it's legitimate to deduce that that this girl was redeemed. I think it's legitimate, it's a perfectly legitimate conclusion to make. So here's a, an ex, here's a woman, a, a, a well-to-do businesswoman, a girl, a young girl who's, who was delivered from a demon. And then thirdly, look down, in the, it's well-known, verse 23. And when they, uh, what happened? You know what happened, you know the story. The, her owners, this girl's owners, got aggravated because all of a sudden their business was ruined. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You let, the, you let the gospel start ruining businesses. You let liquor stores start shutting down. You let dance clubs start closing up. And you'll be persecuted. So they... Ruined their business. They took it to the magistrates and said they inflicted many blows on them. And y'all know what that was. They took a rod and they stripped their shirt off of them and they beat them on their bare back until, I mean, they bled. Just laid the flesh open. Gave them to the jailer and said, throw them into the prison and keep them secure. So he threw them in the inner prison and bound them in stocks. You imagine being beaten like that and then have your feet and hands in stocks. Verse 24, it says... Uh, Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundation of the prison was shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were loosed. And when the jailer woke and saw what the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, Supposing they'd escape. Well, you know, Paul, they called out and said, oh, we're all here. Listen, it wasn't just Paul and Silas. It was the other prisoners. No, hey, I'm not leaving. I want to see what happens. You know, I can just, they weren't going to leave. They weren't going to leave that. They said, man, this, this is crazy. These guys get beaten half to death. They come in here and sing praises to God and praying. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake. The jailer comes running in, fixing to kill himself. I ain't leaving. I don't care what you do. I ain't leaving. I want to see what happens here. Well, what happens is the jailer said, what do I have to do to be saved? Amen. 
You see, folks, listen to me. Sometimes your greatest testimony will be when you're suffering the worst. When you can pray and sing praises to God, when you can glorify God and no matter what you're going through, somebody's going to notice. Somebody's going to notice. And somebody that needs to know there is something beyond this that can get me through. Something beyond this. I wish I had time to go into it. But Paul uses two words later on in chapter 1 of Philippians. Two words. One of them is the word advanced in verse 12 and the word progress in verse 25, I believe. And what that, that word comes from a Greek word that, that means to, it's a nautical term. It comes from a nautical term. It means to make headway across like stormy waters. And you know what Paul said? He said, Listen, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually happened to advance the gospel. You see a ship going through stormy water. I know my dad was serving on an aircraft carrier, and, and I was a kid, and I used to think, man, that was incredible. 6,000 men on one boat? Can you imagine? I mean, they, he served on there for years, and there were people he never met. Never met people, and there's so many of them. And I said, well, Dad, what did you do? There was a hurricane. I don't know how, when it was, what hurricane it was. I said, well, what did y'all do when there was a hurricane? He said, well, son, we just put out to sea. I said, well, and the waves like this, he said, well, that ship's so big, we just rode it out in the, in the ocean. And I've seen other, you know, video of, um, you know, things on the uh, Nat Geo where these, Fishing boats go out and the seas get up, you know, bad up of the coast, of, all coast of Alaska. And man, it's just unbelievable what these ships go through. We know that's what Paul's talking about here. That word also means, it also came later on to mean a pioneer hacking his way through a wilderness. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, as a, as a believer, as a follower of Christ, listen, the path is laid out for you. You're following someone that's already gone. Jesus said, follow me. There's a path he's already laid. But listen, so what you're hacking through is not the brush. It's through the mess in your own life. You understand that? You're not hacking out to find a way. You're hacking through your own life. You're dealing with, it's what John Owen said, be dealing with sin or it'll be killing you. You be killing sin or be killing you. We don't realize how deadly it is. So what in the world could bring these three dramatically different people together? An, a, a wealthy businesswoman, a slave, former slave, demon-possessed slave girl, and a jailer. The gospel. It was the gospel that brought them together. You know, I even read one commentator that said what, I don't know where he found it, but he said that, that Lydia took that slave girl to herself. Lydia took responsibility for that slave girl. Doesn't it sound like something a believer in Christ would do? Amen. Take somebody that's destitute and has nothing and has no way to fend for themselves, say, honey, come home with me. Come home with me. And the jailer was there too. You know what makes the difference? I'll tell you what it is. It's a humbling effect of knowing that we're all in the same boat. That we're sinners. We're estranged from God. That we're helpless and hopeless. Until the good shepherd finds us. 
until the good shepherd finds us. Keep in mind some things. You know, that's why I love what Alistair Begg says. He said, you know, one of the biggest problems of Christians is we don't preach the gospel to ourselves enough. And one of my heroes, Mark Lloyd-Jones, says that he said the problem is we, we listen to ourselves and we ought to be talking to ourselves. Anybody relate to that? You ever hear things, you know, talking to yourself and you think, well, man, if that's so, well, I, no, quit listening and start talking. Here's what you say. We've been forgiven through the death of, of, and, and life of Christ. We're free from the law of sin and death. We've been passed from spiritual death to eternal life. We've all been permanently adopted as children of God by the will of God. We've become God's handiwork to do the work that he's prepared for us. We've all been given eternal home in the heavens in the presence of our Lord and Savior Christ, our Lamb, our temple, our light. Those are the kind of things we need to keep telling ourselves. So number one, it's not just... Um, not just gospel center, but secondly, persistent growth. Look at verse 6 back in our text of Philippians. Paul says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. He will, what he starts, he'll bring it to completion. And I think a lot of people are under the misconception that, well, you know, I got saved, and that's up to God to deal with the rest of it. God works, yes, but listen, with our cooperation. God works and we work. Paul expounds on this over in chapter 2. Look at chapter 2. After he goes and tells it in uh, beginning of chapter 2, very well known, Paul says in verse 5, had this mind in you that's also in Christ Jesus. In the form of God, he didn't think it equality of, uh, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became, uh, took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself. He emptied himself and he humbled himself. And therefore, God highly exalted him. God highly exalted him. And because what God, and, and in the name of Christ, every Knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what God's done. And as a result, look what he says in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, if you always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now notice he doesn't say work for it. He said work it out. What God has done in you, you work out. But he says with fear and trembling. And you know what? I, I, boy, I've, I've dug into that. And you know what that means? It means that you know you can't do it. But you do all you can to see it through. Isn't that great? God gives us everything we need. But it's not easy. Don't let anybody fool you. If you want an easy life, Jesus told it what it was. is a broad way that leads to death and destruction. But the way is narrow. I mean, the door is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. 
If you want something easy, you find something else besides Christianity because you won't follow Christ and find an easy road. Never. It'll never be easy. Paul says, as you've always obeyed, not uh, only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own fear uh, with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here's the key, verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who works in you. Listen, God gives you the want to, to do what he wants you to do, but he also gives you the strength to do it. Isn't that God? Look, I, what God demands, he gives. Isn't that, isn't that marvelous? God never asks you to do something. He doesn't empower you to do it. But he won't give it. Listen, and everybody will know it was him that did it. Nobody will look and say, look how that, no. You give me some weak, poor, and watch God do something great through that person. And everybody will know who did it. Sometimes, listen, I think a lot of us are just too strong for God to use. Paul said, God, listen, Jesus told Paul when he prayed about his thorn in the flesh, he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. In weakness. Paul said, well, man, I'll tell you what, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses for the power of Christ and rest on me. Man, if I'm too weak, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Number three, number three, persistent growth. And number three, grace strengthened. Look at verse seven of chapter one of Philippians. Paul said, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. It's a joint fellowship of grace. Together, giving evidence of the grace of God among them. And it's shown in a number of ways. Number one, with the, the support that they continually gave Paul in his ministry. But, uh, but sec, look, also, listen to this. Grace also led these people to be a defense, an apolog, a, apologetic for the gospel. In other words, Paul could speak to people and say, look at the believers in Philippi if you want to know if the gospel is true or not. Listen, believer, can somebody point to you and say, I know the gospel is true because of them? Can they? Does your life say, scream, there was a Savior who lived and died for me, and he was buried, and he rose again? And I'm living a new life. Does your life point to that? Does your life give evidence that you've been reborn, that, that there is a gospel and it's true? That's what the, the, Philippi, the church at Philippi did. They were evidence that the gospel was true. And not just as a defense. Listen, but also he says it's confirmation. It was confirmation. It was, they, were, it was, they, they gave validation that the gospel was true. Not just individually, but collectively. Someone ought to be able to walk into a body where this is realized and immediately be struck by something different because of the way the people are. Man, there's something different about them. And they're just not there. That's not where they just go spend Sunday morning. 
Wednesday night, small group. I mean, this, this is important to these people. It's their life. It's their life. You know, I have one other quick example in, in, a, in Acts chapter 11. Turn back to Acts chapter 11 just for a minute. Are y'all with me this morning? Amen. Okay, I want to make sure. I don't know what y'all look like when you're paying attention. So I, I'm, I know what they look like at Shores, but I don't know what y'all look like when you're paying attention. So look at Acts chapter 11. You know, Paul... <clears throat> Excuse me, the, the gospel had come to Antioch and the church, in, uh, the Gentiles, Gentiles in Antioch. And the disciples in, in uh, Jerusalem heard about it. And so they sent Barnabas to find out what in the world is going on in Antioch. All these, all these Gentiles, you're kidding me. So they sent Barnabas to go to Antioch to see what was going on, to get the skinny on the gospel going on in, in Antioch. So Barnabas gets there. And look what it says in verse 22. The report came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Look at verse 23. And when he came and saw the grace of God. Amen. You know, we think the grace of God is just something that's intangible. That It's just something out there. Maybe it's something that operates within us. Listen, Barnabas saw the grace of God. He saw it. How do you see the gospel of God? They served one another. They loved one another. They honored one another. They lived in harmony with one another. They comforted one another. They bore one another's burdens. They were kind to one another, forgiving one another, submitted to one another. They were teaching and admonishing one another. They were building one another up. That's how you see the grace of God in the church. That's how you see it. Look up to one another's in the New Testament. That's the Christian ethic right there. One another. It's not me. It's one another's. Lastly, back in Philippians, it's love motivated. It's not only gospel centered, evidencing persistent growth and grace strengthened, but it's also love motivated. Verse 7, uh, excuse me, verse 9 to 11. Paul said, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, Paul mentioned, mentions three times explicitly in Philippians about the day of Jesus Christ and one time it's implicit. But you know what? Um... It was mentioned earlier about all the, the mess going on in the world today, all the political stuff and the financial stuff and what's going on over in the Middle East. And, and you know, I hear people, people say, well, I just wish Jesus would come back. And, you know, and I understand that. We do. We want to hasten his coming, right? But listen, there's, got, there's a right and a wrong motive for his coming back. If you want to, are looking forward to Christ coming back to deliver you from all the trials of this life, and to take you out of the mess, that's the wrong attitude. You know what, we're, we're awaiting the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to see Him come. Regardless of when it is. Regardless of how things are. Not to get me out of some trouble. I want to see His face. 
I want to see his face, Kevin. I want to be welcomed. Listen, but I want to be prepared. You know, the old buzzword, listen, there's an old, old saying that God, Jesus went to prepare a place, but he prepared a place for prepared people. And look at what he says about the prepared people, to be pure and blameless. Oh, my goodness. To be pure and blameless? You thus therefore be perfect, as your heavenly Father in heaven is perfect. Boy, ain't it easy to be a Christian. <laughs> ain't it easy? Strive. Strive for what God wants you, for you. Strive for who Christ wants you to be. Like him. Listen, Romans 8, 29 tells us that he's, those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the whole reason, to be conformed to his image. And I'm going to tell you something, it takes trials to do that. It takes difficulties, it takes hardships. I, I don't know where, if I read it, or I, I don't know how it came, but what, listen, I believe this with all my heart. That a Christian character is forged in the furnace of affliction. And it's hammered out on the anvil of adversity. Affliction and adversity. That's what forms character of Christ in a man or woman. It's not easy. It's not, it's not a life of ease. That affliction is for our benefit. It's for our benefit. As well as adversity. Affliction can be within or even when people afflict us. David, you know, it's, I think it's like six times in the 119th Psalm, he says something along the effect, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might know your word. Anybody else, can I get it? Anybody else raise your hand and say, look, when my life went upside down, I turned to God's word and God comforted me. Anybody else? You know, when you get, when you're afflicted, what happens is you, you open this book and you find out why God afflicted. Listen, you've been ignoring some things. You've been neglecting some things. God's not going to quit. With, listen, God will not stop with you until he forms in you the character and the nature and the likeness of Christ. And he'll use whatever means necessary. He'll cut off whatever he's got to cut off. He'll sand whatever he's got to sand. He'll grind whatever he's got to grind. He'll take away whatever he's got to take away. For our good and for his glory. So listen, how do we prepare for the day of Christ as a believer? How do we prepare? The fellowship with believers is part of the way. We don't ignore it. We don't ignore it. You know, I, I know we're not Presbyterian, but I love the first question in the, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And you probably know it. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What is the reason you were created? Do you know? 
to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Amen. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's not just for Presbyterians. That's for Baptists and everybody else. There's truth. It's true. You know, I, and as much as I like the Westminster, I love the Heidelberg Catechism even more. And, and the first question there, I want you to listen to this. What is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? Listen to what he says. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. He has fully paid for all my sins with his blood. And has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair of my head can fall without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly and willing and ready from now on to live for him. What is your only comfort in life and death? Your only comfort is that Christ Jesus is your life. Amen. Your life is hidden in him. Can you say that today? Do you have that hope? Do you have it? Is it yours personally? Do you have that comfort in life that can get you to comfort in death? Paul did. He said, I'm ready to be, depart. In fact, Paul was so ready, he said, I'm torn between two. You know, I'd rather depart and be with Christ. You know what he was talking about? They were threatening to lop his head off. Paul said, have at it. I know what's next. Listen, Paul was going to, he knew he was going to stay, but he'd rather go. How many of you would face with a choice? Let's see, cut my head off or stay and teach these people. I'm, I'm, would it be a hard choice for you? It was for Paul. I'd rather depart. But to stay in the flesh is more needful on your account. Oh, my goodness. Paul knew the one he worshipped. Would to God we knew him like that. Would to God I knew him like that. I want to. I want to know him that way. Because I know the only hope, the only comfort I have in life and death is what has been promised in Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave you with this. When we're dead in trespasses and sins, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, slaves to our flesh, Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. But God. Two of the greatest words in the book of Ephesians. But God. 
being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, made us alive in Christ. Made us alive in Christ. Can you, have you ever had a but God moment? You ever had one? But God. Sometimes you'll be crushed when it happens. But God. Let's pray. Father, God, we're grateful this morning that so many of us can say when we were condemned, when we were outside of anything that gave us hope, God, you found us. And Father, you sent your only son to do for us what we couldn't do, to earn for us what we could never earn. And Father, anything we have, anything we are, anything we hope for is bound up in that precious Lamb of God who was slain for us. And Father, I pray that forevermore humbles us, humbles us into service, humbles us into submission with one another, humbles us, God, to seek the good of others, God, to put others' interests even ahead of our own. Father, we might one day hear that voice that calls and we can look forward to seeing our Savior to send for his people. God, this hope we have because of Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.